Thank you for joining us for the Rescue and Revive Sunday morning sermon from Spencerport Bible Church in Spencerport, New York, given by Pastor Dominic Denisi of Rescue and Revive Ministries and Senior Pastor of Spencerport Bible Church. As always, thank you for helping us rescue the lost and revive the saved with the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you and enjoy the sermon. We get into First uh, Peter. As you know, we've been traveling through First Peter since the beginning of 2024. And we will go into chapter 3 today. And I was uh, sharing with the group, a church I was able to speak at Friday night, how much I've been enjoying this, First Peter. Because again, as you've heard me say in weeks past, just really astounded at the transformation of the Apostle Peter in this writing. And when you think of the encounter that he had with Jesus in the end of chapter, uh, the last few chapters of John in the Gospel of John, and just, I, I believe that was pivotal in his life. And to hear this man as the author behind this letter is just, it's very inspiring, very touching uh, to me, and I pray it's the same for you. And it's really the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who, who is moving this writing and, and is the true author behind this. So let's pray and then we'll give you a brief introduction into First Peter. You saw the, the title, Wife Style Evangelism. I invented that phrase, I think, uh, this week because I think it's appropriate. Wife Style Evangelism and Husbandly Love. But let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the author and finisher of our faith. God, be with this flock today. Be with this family be with those who couldn't be with us today, those who are sick and ailing. We pray for uh, Steve and, and Ann. We pray for our dear sister Janet. Thank you for that uh, love letter to the church of God that she wrote to just inspire us and encourage us, Lord. And all those others that are watching online, Lord. Pray for Rondi and all the surgery she's had. Just the, so many, Lord, that uh, they're with us in spirit, Lord. And so they're part of this local body and part of the universal body of Christ. And we're so thankful that you save them by your marvelous grace. Lord, be with us. Holy Spirit, be the teacher today to encourage, inspire, equip, instruct all the things that the Word of God was intended to do. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of Spencerport Bible Church said, Amen and Amen. First Peter chapter 3, uh, this week we're beginning, as mentioned, now roughly halfway through because First Peter only has five chapters. And the Apostle will address the area of marriage, obviously, by the title. We know that. And interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul in our cross-reference passage will be the Apostle Paul's in Ephesians, very well-known passage for marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. We'll look at that as well. It's really a sibling. It's a great cross-reference to this passage. Two of the most famous Apostles. If you were to ask... People, and sometimes you do this with little Bible trivia games, name 12 the apostles, or with your kids, name the apostles. Most of them know Peter and Paul. And even though uh, Paul was not part of the original 12, he's a very, very well-known. Of course, he's responsible for nearly half of the New Testament writings, most believe. So interesting that these two men were chosen to write about marriage. And so that will be the cross text. And Paul and Peter, we know that at some point they were married. Peter in the Gospels goes to his mother-in-law's home to pray because she is sick. So therefore affirming the fact that he was married. 
And then the apostle Paul was a Pharisee, which in all likelihood means he at some point in time was married. His wife is never referenced, but we believe based upon the qualifications of being a Pharisee, you had to be married. Um, So we're going to look at it through that lens. And then marriage, I want to just share, is largely experiential. And some of you have been married much longer than me. I've been married 21, over 21 years, and I've learned just a little bit. Uh, one thing I could tell you, it's, it, it is not what one envisions. It is not what one envisions. It's largely, as I said, experiential. You have to walk in it to fully grasp it. The wedding ceremony and honeymoon phase passes away, and you are left with a spouse which at times you are angry at, do not understand, do not like at times, and do not even want to be around. On the flip side, you have a spouse that can... Learn about you, understand you, comfort you, love you, and grow with you. Best advice I can give a marriage is the words of Jesus we read two weeks ago. Build your marriage upon the rock. That is the only way it will stand or last. And so with that being in mind, keeping those things in mind, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, building off of last week, he starts with the King James word, likewise, In chapter 3, verse 1, ye wives, you wives, he speaks directly to the wives. Now, I have to tell you, six out of these seven verses deal with wife-style evangelism. Okay, they deal directly with the wife, and only one for the husband. Um, The husband can't take in that much at a time, right? Maybe we can't process as much. But we'll look at Ephesians 5, 22, verse 33, if there's more that's directly to the husband or husbandly love that really is linked to this in spirit and in truth. So it's likewise, you wives, be in subjection. Come under the authority to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, that would be the word of God, that would be the apostles' doctrine at the time, that would be the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ that Peter knows well. They also may without the word. Now, the King James is the only one that I found. I'm sure there's other that says the word. Well, other versions say a word, but without the word. May without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Hold on, time out. Conversation does not mean conversation. It means conduct in King James language. So if you look in other versions, it'll say conduct. It is not conversation. It is your conduct. That's how a husband who does not know Jesus may be won. That's the beginning of it at least. And understand that this is very unnatural for a woman. If it was conversation, you'd be happy. It's not conversation. It's telling the woman not to speak. This is one of a few instances in the Word of God where you are told, where the wife specifically is told, do not share the gospel in word with your lost and dying husband. Why? You'll see why. But I can tell you this. Jesus said a prophet is without honor in his own country. And I can tell you it's the same thing, that a prophet or a saved wife was without profit, in her, without honor in her own home. He's not going to listen to you. Men desire respect. He's not going to listen to you talk about Jesus all the time that he wants nothing to do with. This is what Peter is saying. These are newly saved, newly converted Christians that are being persecuted that he's writing to. So he's addressing these converted wives They know Jesus, but their husbands are under the law. They know not the Christ. They're living by the yoke of the law. 
in the midst of persecution, and he's telling these wives, be in subjection to them, listen to them. They're not saved, by the way, but listen to them and win them, not by continuously telling them about Jesus. Now, you've got to understand, this is an evangelist at heart up here telling you not to share the gospel with your lost and dying husband that you're concerned about. And all you want to see is tears rolling down his face to come to Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But you're not going to be able to do it with your words. Wives, maybe someone else can, but not you. What is your job? Listen. If any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conduct, the conversation of the wives. While they, while the husbands, that's who they are, while they behold, while they gaze upon your chaste conversation, conduct, coupled with fear, being submissive, walking in the word, submissive or subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God, and so partnering with them. A husband needs a wife, not another mother. Public service announcement I'm going to make today. Lost or saved. I don't need another mother. Any man who's married, if you agree with that, can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. Somebody said it really loud. A helpmeet, a rib from his own flesh, not a woman that speaks to him or treats him as a child, one that builds up, not tears down, lost or saved. You see, subjection is not a problem in many cultures. And the three countries I've been to, Italy, India, and Kenya, wives are wives, husbands are husbands, men are men, women are women, and there is an unspoken understanding of the culture that the man is the head and the woman is the neck. And it works well. You don't see the issues you see here in what our country is trying to do. Because God has a natural and a divine order that begins in Genesis where he takes that rib. He calls a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he takes that rib, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, out. And he creates that help me. And the two become one. And they're naked and they're not ashamed They're naked and they're not ashamed because sin had not entered. And it's God's natural divine order. And this is back in the beginning of Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. Create a family together. I was looking at definitions of nuclear family. They've changed all that. No, the nuclear family, at least what the world calls, is the biblical family, is this. Husband, wife, children. Father, mother, children. That's the order. That's the simplicity and the order, but we've complicated it, confused it. Satan has an agenda, the world has an agenda, and we cannot fall prey to it. Listen here. Any church that falls prey to believing in what the culture, society, or the world is trying to tell you is the new way of doing it, that is the beginning of an apostate church. Men are men, women are women. Wives, be in subjection to your husbands. In all things, the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians 5, we're looking, not easy to do. You have a lost husband, you're a saved, God-fearing woman, God bless you, and I mean that. Stop telling them about Jesus, start walking with your chaste conduct, your humble, pious conduct, coupled with the fear of the Lord. What will they see? Who's adorning, or their dress, or what they're... Clothed with, let it not be with that outward adorning of plating the hair 
and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. So pure and honest conduct, the beauty from within, it's about their lack of words, your lack of words and your fullness of conduct. Not their clothing, not your jewelry, not your hair. But listen to this. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible. Let it be the holy, sincere Spirit of God come out in you, shine through you, in your countenance, in your eyes, in your speech, in your conduct. And they will behold it. Husbands are watching. In fact, if you talked less, they'd probably be really surprised and they'd listen more. That's how men are built. You know, I've shared this before. I've shared this with my beautiful wife, who's not here today. They went to this overnight gala homeschool thing, okay? But I've shared this before. Babe, our boys, they're boys. You have to approach them as boys. Our girls, she knows how to address. Why? She's a woman. And, and what it is a lot of times in relationships is you refuse to empathize with the other gender. You refuse to be patient and kind and just listen to them and, pro- and try to understand what they're saying. And you're coming in with your own selfish viewpoint rather than stepping back and saying, how do they process? How do they behold? Can I try to understand where they're coming from so I have a more godly approach to this? I mean, how bad can it be if you've had no success to this point? God's word is telling you. Wife-style evangelism. Don't share the gospel in word. Live it in deed. Live it in deed. Reverence your husband, regardless, because it's God's divine, natural order. Now listen to this. It's not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, great, great price. Meekness is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, quiet spirit, not a loud woman. You know what the Proverbs say? That better to dwell in the corner of a house. Better to be on the rooftop than with a contentious woman. That means as a man, you want to just go up on your roof. You want to go into the corner of your house and duck your head in the sand like an ostrich. When your woman is just loud and stubborn and contentious, you don't want to deal with that. And that's what happens a lot of times in marriages. That's what happens a lot of times in families. And you have men who will not lead. They will not take their God-appointed ordination of leading their marriage and leading their household, regardless of how they feel about it, regardless of what they're going through. They are called to lead. They are the head, not the tail. And that's part of the reason Peter says later on in chapter 4, judgment begins in the house of God. If the church isn't doing it right, how can we expect a radically perverse, lost and dying world to do it right? You see? He says, for after this manner, this is verse 5, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now let me just read are not afraid with any amazement because I'll give you an easier translation. Verse 6, when you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do. 
easier for you to understand that. Now, the illustration here used by the Apostle Peter is Abraham and Sarah. He wasn't even Abraham yet, what she's referring to. Genesis chapter 12, you know it well. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, he's told to leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, I want to tell you, Sarai at the time, when she would become Sarah, just like Abram will become Abraham, she's silent here. There's nothing said in Genesis 12 about what Sarah thinks about this, because if she had something to say, let's just think about what Sarah may say as the one who's in subjection to Abe. Just think about this for one second. God is telling Abraham, do something that is radical. Go into a place that I will show you away from your whole family. I'm not going to show you where it is, but leave everything you know and just go. How do you think Sarah feels about that, ladies? Well, let's think about some questions she may ask if that happened in 2024. Listen. Well, what will we do for insurance? A fair question. Well, what will you do for work, Abe? How are we going to survive? Can we build our, up our supply of goats and sheep and cattle first before we go? Can we wait until we have a bigger tent, Abraham, please? There's a reason God told Abraham, because he's the divine one that's chosen to be the head of that family. A woman is not a man, no matter what culture tells you. God designed their minds differently. He designed them physically differently. We have all these people stealing from women's sports. Notice it's never the other way around. When's the last time a transgender? When's the last time somebody at RIT from the women's team joined the men's track team to win? They can't. It's cowardly. It's perverse. It's wrong. You see, a man is a man. A woman is a woman. And the reality is this. God gives his instructions to a man of God like Abraham. And Abraham goes. He doesn't question. He goes because he knows God has spoken to him. And if God has spoken to you, you need to go. What pleases God? Faith. Faith is what pleases God. How about later on? When he's promised a son, the son of promise, Isaac, which means laughter. And the Lord tells him, going to come from his own bowels, King James language. And so Abraham, you got to understand something. When he was called to leave the land, he was 75. 75 years old. Now, he's being told there's going to be a promised child that will fulfill what was told in Genesis 12 to make his name great. His, his descendants like the sand in the sea, like the stars in the sky. And Sarah's sitting there thinking, I'm old, I'm barren. God's not moving quick enough. I have an idea, Abraham. What is it? Go and sleep with my servant, Hagar. Of course, being like a typical man, goes in, okay, and guess what happens? Ishmael. Ishmael. And here's what's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting about this whole thing that happens. When push comes to shove, something very interesting is said. Sarah says to Abraham, my wrong be upon thee. It's your fault. Well, who came up with the idea? 
Sarah. You see, when things get out of order in God's economy, chaos will follow. God has a divine order. And let me tell you this, and I pray you, I'll try to say this with love, as much love as I can, and with concern. The church is plagued with weak men. Men who will not pull up their bootstraps and lead. Make decisions that perhaps even their wives may not see or even agree with at first. But if you hear from God, man of God, you do it. You go because the Lord of lords and the King of kings has told you, and that takes precedence and preeminence over every relationship on this earth, including the wife he gave you. You see, without faith, I would not be here today. Faith, that's what God honors. Faith. You listen. Just like Moses went up and was separated. And then he came down and he delivered the instructions. And you see, when there's no head, what happens? Wild parties ensue. Calves get made. God intended a head for the family. That's what his divine plan has been since Genesis. Since Genesis. Now listen to this. Verse 7. Here comes the one. One verse for the husbands, but there's more in Ephesians. Likewise, also, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, we were pretty, I, I know I was pretty hard on the wives right now, but now it's time for the husbands here to go out back to the woodshed. Listen to this. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. You know what I love? One interpretation or explanation of this is intelligent understanding. You need to start to understand your wife. You need to watch her. You need to listen to her. You should know what your wife has to say before she says it or without saying it. You know, my wife is not here today. I told you they had a homeschool thing, overnight thing. As soon as she walks in those red doors and I'm standing there, I know the minute I see her face where she's at. I know where she's at. As soon as I call her, Voice, two seconds. I know where she's at. Is she happy? Is she sad? Is she broken? I know exactly where she's at. How did that happen? Dwelling according to knowledge. I know what makes her feel loved. Not me. Not me. See, there is truth. There is truth to these love languages you may have heard about. I know because I'm speaking both biblically and experientially. Physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, and acts of service. And for years, probably the first half of my marriage, I tried to love my wife the way I feel loved. Because I am the best person you'll ever meet at telling someone I love you. I tell my wife I love her every day. I can say it in different languages. My lovely wife, Swahili. I can say it. I mean, I am great at saying I love you to my wife, but I was not great at actually loving her the way she receives love. You see? And a lot of times, even today, because I say it because I still need to express my love, but like, babe, I'm still passionately in love with you. And she'll say, I know. Right? If it was me, I'd be like, oh, babe, I love you too so much. But see, that's not how she receives love. For me to show her that I'm passionately in love with her, I need to actually serve her. And I need to serve my children. And I need to be with them. But not just be with them. I need to be engaged with them when I'm with them, not on my phone. You see, that's how my... Wife would say, I'm passionately in love with you without saying it. You see? 
This takes time to understand this. To understand that I have to give myself to my wife. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. That I'm a picture of Christ and she's a picture of the church. And I'm to give myself to my wife the way Christ did for the church. To sanctify her, to set her apart. Because she has spots, she has wrinkles, the Word of God says. There's things there. How do you get out? If I had a spot in my shirt right now, I'd wash it, take it to the dry cleaner. they put some type of chemical agent on it, and they'd wash it. And God says, wash her in the Word. That's how you get those spots out. If I had a wrinkle in the shirt, maybe I'd do in the back. So don't pay attention for now. But if I had wrinkles in my shirt, I would take a hot iron and I would start to press out the wrinkle. And that, to me, is a picture of prayer. You need heat. You need prayer. You need intimacy with God together in prayer. Many guys, you don't even say grace at the table. And God has ordained you to. I've talked to ministry. There's one ministry leader who's a good man, actually, a really good man. You don't know him. It still rings in my ears. This was years ago. He said... I don't pray with my wife. I just can't. We try. I just don't pray with her. That, that's, that's alarming to me. That's your church. That'd be like if you said, well, you know, I don't pray for the church. I don't pray with the church. I don't go to church, but it's my church. That doesn't make any sense. You are called to be the spiritual leader of your home. You pray with your wife. You pray for your wife. You pray with your wife for your children. This is our job, man. This is why things have gotten so messed up. So messed up. In the church. The culture it's expected, but in the church. When we allow the culture to seep in and say, well, this is how they're doing, so let... No. It's our job. We have to lead our homes. We have to lead our wives. And this is what the apostles is addressing. Say, hey, listen, wives, listen. Subjection, less words, your conduct, walk in the meekness, walk in, they will see the hidden man, they will see Christ in you, trust me, they're beholding you as you walk in it, they're gazing upon you, they're listening, even when you think they're not, they're listening, men, love love your wives as Christ loved the church, give yourself to them, rather than just hiking and, and, and hunting and golfing and all this stuff. Do those things, but give yourself to your wife. Because it's a picture of Christ in the church. One of the most powerful evangelism tools is a strong, godly marriage to a lost and dying world. This is Pastor Dominic Denisi of Rescue and Revive Ministries. I'd like to invite you to our Rescue and Revive Ministry Follow the Cloud concert on Sunday evening, February 18th, from 6 p.m. till 8.30 at Spencer Ford Bible Church, 1948 North Union Street. Will and Angela Comprero will be performing... You're all invited. Concert is free and open to the public. Sunday, February 18th, 6 p.m. to 8.30. Follow the cloud in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Rescue and Revive Gospel Show today. Please pray for us as we seek to rescue the lost and revive the saved with the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. Please visit our website at rescueandrevive.org to find out how you can get involved and support Rescue and Revive Ministries. God bless you. Love her, love and trust Him in His presence.